Welcome to Fundamental Fridays, where we provide you practical tips and tricks for working on or in your business. My name is Devin. And my name is Thor. And today we're on stage three and we're discussing value proposition. Absolutely. I'm so excited for more GTM <laughs> because of the amount of content out there and how people are like, what's the point of a go-to-market strategy? You don't Isn't need it just one. a sales strategy? Yes. <laughs> just absolutely no. bonkers. But before we get down that path, it's always good to give them an update. And Absolutely. for me to flip over our sand timer so Devin doesn't talk to the end of time. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. If we didn't have them, we'd be off in the abyss. Yeah. So, so what's our update, Thor? What oh, we, man. What, are we, what can we kicking down the road this week? <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully said. So this week or this past, well, no, it was last week, right? No. When were we at the exit planning event? Last week. Last week. <laughs> Getting my weeks mi mi mixed up a little bit. A lot of back and forth lately. Um but we were at an exit planning event and we got to go over a case study and we were surrounded with beautiful minds, incredibly intelligent people, professionals in their fields. And Devin and I got split up, which is always an interesting moment, uh, flying in, in independently of, of each other and being able to sit and listen and learn about exit planning in a more in-depth, more practical way and finding our, our niche. A little bit yeah. more. I, we we really honed in. We we found our place, and it felt like it really just we yeah slid right in, and it's just solidifying things that that much more. Yeah. To give you a little context, so thank you. Case study. Believe it or not, it was actually fun, and I'm not a school person. I don't enjoy it. <laughs> but when you're in the right, Hard it's to always better. <laughs> oh yeah, true. Yeah, it felt it was hitting close close to home. Right. So it was genuinely fun. Yeah. But what we learned was companies who want to sell very common situations like I do 10 million in revenue, so I'm going to sell for 10 million. Well, it doesn't work that way. You have to look at your profit. So like, oh, cool. I do 3 million in profit. So I'm going to sell for 15 million then because it's three to five EBITDA, which is your earnings for interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. All that matters. It's Whole a super common used um, measurement by finance and accounting firms that has established the value of your company. Doesn't work that way either. Typically companies want more than what they're worth. So these exit planning companies come in anywhere from three to five years before they sell and go, what do you want to sell for? Where are you at? And they are typically trying to convince them to just sell for what they're currently worth. But because most times there's not a company like Thor and I that want to come and help accelerate their growth. Everyone was excited, was like, haven't heard this approach, but we have, which haven't found people willing to roll up the sleeves and do it. Completely agree with it. And so now we've really found this weird pendulum. We're like, we're, we're at the birth of a company. We're helping startups. And then we're at the retirement of a company. We're helping the exit planning side of it. Obviously, we do in the middle, but that startup and exit planning, uh, the way Thor puts it is they're, they're really committed and putting their best foot forward to get the return on what we're trying to accomplish. We just work better mm -hmm. with them. So that was fun. Genuinely, I was blown away. I was really nervous initially. And then when we got in there, it was great to just pitch our, like what we do and to have people immediately pull back and be like, wait a minute, who are you again? And what do you do? And yeah. then to like run through it. And they were just like, holy smokes, that's perfect. Because essentially you're sales pitching to someone how to, you know, sell their business or yeah. exit it. And it's like, it was unique to hear their pitches. And I'm sure that they're on point on that end, but yeah, tons of fun. So that was fun. Finally, our, our network has grown to a point where we're able to like leverage it for 
potential clients and just friends in general, which is a blast. We're getting calls from people like, hey, we've seen you are going to a ton of events. Which ones do you recommend? Which ones aren't worth the time? And then it's actually resulting in we're landing. We just landed on another client this week. Super stoked about it. Really amazing person. We'll get details later on. We know everything's come from both sides to share about it. But we're going to bring that company and their organization to some of our exclusive networking events or to help them crack into the market. So things are starting to roll, which makes sense. We typically tell companies six to nine months before you crack a market and really start seeing a return, especially on the side of the industry we're on, where it's a lot of trust, a lot of time just consistently showing up because I still work a full time job. So it's the question of are you actually dedicated to this cause? So consistently showing up, we're starting to close more consistent deals. We're starting to meet more people. And most importantly, our network's just becoming established of people we can trust and like to work with. So that's always good. Oh yeah, it just takes time. That's the biggest thing and everyone's told us that. So it's not that we're not unaware of it, but it definitely is just one of those things of it is just a continuous grind and just building relationships. And yeah, I think it's just as for a good tip, I would just try and stay with people that you do enjoy. Obviously push yourself to get out of your comfort zones but really try and push yourself to get out there, find people that you genuinely enjoy and just keep spending time with them. Cause then again, it just builds that trust. Yeah. Especially if you're in a service industry for versus a product. And and don't overestimate your network. I was telling before, <laughs> I can't believe right now the, the big breakthrough in sales right now is partnerships. Like if you're a sales rep, you should partner with companies and you should help yeah. sell each other's products. The fact that this is considered just the great breakthrough by Gartner and Forrester and some of the most uh, influential leaders on LinkedIn in the sales and business development space slightly hurts my brain because it's something we started doing when I was 16 years old. So definitely a good thing to do. Probably something we'll actually, we will touch on later on in our sales channel strategy side of the GTM down the road. But uh, yeah, just Absolutely. fascinating to see the market start warming up to our concepts, but. Oh yeah, it's wonderful. So Thor, value prop, right? Why why should someone not tune out now after a great update? They oh, know man. about our lives. They can either encourage us or gossip about <laughs> us. Both are more than welcome Absolutely. as our name's coming out. How do we keep them on to listen about value prop? I would say that it's it's probably the, one of the biggest, biggest parts of an offering. It's understanding your client's pain point and what your product does to bring them value. And without that, I think you're just kind of in a robot without a paddle out in the middle of the ocean. Not, yeah. not a good time. Yeah. Because without a value prop, what, what do you sell and what do you market? And everyone goes, well, my product, my service, I'm a cleaning company. Mm. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad. Um, or they go, hey, I have the latest and greatest, you know, what's that Stanley cooler thing now that's competing with Yeti. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, yep. Yeah. So everyone's freaking out about that. Well, why did they freak out? I hate to break it to y'all. It's not because their technology is innovative. They have a value prop that simply comes down to, we're as good as a, a Yeti, half the price, and we fit in your cup holder. Like, yep. Like, hard arguments so on like, that. Cheers end. to us. We have won the game, right? <laughs> hey, it's part of strategy though. Yeah. And that's something I guess that we get at every single day of go to market strategy, sales strategy. It's not to suggest you you can't be somewhat successful without it. But man, is that wasted time, energy, everything on that end, yeah. you know, to where it's like, yeah, I, why, why you'd want to go a road without it blows my mind, given I'm a little bit newer to the B2B space than De Devin is, but man, mind, mind blowing on that end. 
So then why why would you say it's important to have a value proposition? Not that we didn't touch on it slightly on that end, but to take a deeper dive into it, where are your thoughts on that from your years of experience, sorry, on the Marco side? So a value proposition gives you focus, right? So it allows you to understand, it builds on your target market. So your target market helps you understand who you're going after, but your value properly helps them understand if they should work with you. Right. So they're going, mm -hmm. OK, cool. You're saying I'm, I'm your target market. You're saying that uh, you my your product is ideal for me or your service. However, you need to convince them now that your product and service is ideal for them. Right. And so the simplest way to do that is how do you have a short, concise, clear, consistent message across the board? So, so many times companies send out sales reps out in the field or have multiple forms of online content. So maybe they have a podcast, they have a YouTube channel. They have um, written form content, they have blog posts, and people are reading those and the value prop isn't consistent across the board, right? So like, well, Mixed messages. or it's not even clear. It's just, you, you're another Yeti. Like, why would I buy you? Like, how do I know you're as good, right? And so by having that value prop, you have such a clear, concise viewpoint of this is why I would use them. So a great example would be if we look at Green Screen Studios here, we record, we're doing work for them as well. We looked down to the market for them and we were doing an entire build on a GTM farm. It's an absolute blast. Uh, you can ask Gabe, it's a, the first front end over a month is a lot of back and forth of the client wants to go this way. We agree with it. We go do market research. We go, nope, that doesn't work. Then also we did found a direction we thought worked and we looked at the target audience like that doesn't really exist. So let's go back again. Now we're at this point where we validated the first two, the target markets there, yes. the market research proved there's not the competition. It's basically a blue ocean strategy. But when you get to that point, all of a sudden you look around and go, okay, but why would they want to use green screen? Mm -hmm. And so what we notice is Gabe, it's so funny. We come across these clients all the time. We're really good at what they do. And they, they realize it, that they've created this amazing solution, but they don't see the simplicity of the way it can be verbalized to their clientele to truly capture them. And we met with Gabe, what we found out is you can come into a studio and record. He can come to you anywhere you want from a bar to a restaurant to outdoors to your office and record. And then you can build you out a uh, podcast studio. So right away in my head, I was like, yeah, you just built an end to end solution that grows with the client from the, their small beginnings to the big leagues when now they have a massive audience because they stuck to it for over 20 episodes because they had someone like Gabe who could walk through that with them and all they had to do is show up and record. And so that's the value prop because a lot of his competitors out there don't not let me phrase it. None of his competitors out there offer that where he can grow to any stage or start with you in any stage you're in. And so that's where we identify not only here's our target audience, but yes. now we identified a short message to sell them on it. And that's through doing customer, uh, analyzing the market and going through and doing re research on that end to make sure that that's where we should be heading with it. Obviously you gotta go, yeah, do a lot of digging because it's one of those moments of there's plenty of ideas that sound amazing to your point. And then it's, well, wait, nope, let's actually check this out. Does this exist? Because <laughs> yeah. it sounds amazing. And then it's like, nope, we come right back to where we originally were. So yeah, nice on that. And, but cool to see how that's evolved because that's yeah. going to be absolutely incredible. Well, and a huge part of value prop too is understanding that it might not resonate. Yeah, And you might true. have to adapt it, right? And I, I think one advantage we have in green screen, so I have to hop to a different example, is we, Thor and I, have been running into clients and just networks and friends that have talked about, I mean, these are B2B companies doing anywhere from 10 to 30 million. They don't do a podcast yet. Mm -mm. They're like, holy cow, we should totally be doing a podcast. 
they find out we're doing like, oh, we're looking into that. We're trying to figure out what to do. We don't know how to record, blah, blah, blah. And so we've been able to validate in the market, hey, if you had this, and that's how you validate. You don't tell them this exists. You go, if this existed, would you want to partake in it? And you listen to the words. So when you start, when Thor and I started talking to clients on our side of a great example, because we went through our value prop 1,422 yeah. times, it didn't resonate like Gabe's did out of the gate. So <laughs> Yeah, ours was a lot of face plants. But it, it, I mean, and that's one of those things that, I don't want to call it natural selection, but you just you're it's like water flowing down downstream. The path yeah. of least resistance is kind of what that slowly takes to just form. And it's like, well, if that's what it takes to get there for us, absolutely one of those moments that I don't think either one of us have talked to being a, a, a major creative versus on Gabe's end. He just has a whole different perspective and just sees things in a different way. Yeah, and but it's I, beautiful. And but I think that's too, what's the battle too, is the way I see things is not the way my mass audience sees it. So mm -hmm. I'm pitching our service in a manner that makes sense in my head, but the mistake I make all the time, and seriously, I don't, I don't care if you think you have the simplest knowledge or offering that exists, I guarantee you there's hundreds of thousands of people who don't know anything about it. Even the simplest of terms or analogies in the industry that you might consider the lower end of knowledge and intellect it has still so much slang and art and craft to it that most people don't understand it. And I automatically jumped and assumed well, I only know basics. So everyone else just knows it. And I would be at Z and Thor Olsen Tabman showing is like, you understand that no one knows. Like oh, maybe yeah. at Dell they do, or maybe at the executive boardroom, but 99% of the world's like, how would where did you go? And so that was a big part of our value prop is we, we had to keep boiling it down to the simplicities. And we started meeting with clients, we noticed, hey, when we said, instead of just having hype cycle bursts and drops, you have consistent growth that's sustainable, it ringed. And when yes, we told people, resonated. hey, we teach you how to print money, right? Oh, yeah. Then Sounds we caught funny. attention, right? Yep. Yeah. And attention. so it's working on those value props of how do you truly articulate your message in the simplest form that can be understood by the largest audience possible. Yeah. And again, not not to beat a dead, dead horse, but on that end, it's understanding on all these different levels to where you're at, to where I'm at, we understand what's in our lane and we, we have the wherewithal to go, hey, are other people understanding this? Because a lot of people are just in their lane, which is amazing, but they don't have to be outside of that ever. So that jargon and even on the, the toned down end of it is still confusing. And they're like, wait, what's a GTM? Like, what do you mean go to market? And it's like, well, no, slow down, let's bring it back. And that's where, yeah, again, I, and I think we've really evolved with that really well. Yeah. So. So Thor, we kind of jumped ahead. So we're telling audiences how <laughs> yes. to build, we're telling them the value of a value prop. <laughs> you know, uh, can't think of a funny term there, so we're just gonna move on now. Uh, but Awkward. <laughs> awkward. The question that a lot of people in the audience probably ask themselves is, well, Thor and Devin, cool, so I need a value prop. But all I've targeted so far is I've confirmed the market exists and it's needed. I've confirmed there's a target market I can sell to, but how do I determine what their needs are that actually my product meets inside of the market? I honestly, I'm not sure. How would you, so wait, wait, wait. So what are you, what are you asking that we haven't already covered in a sense? So how, how do companies identify the needs of their B2B customers? I mean, outside of market research, which we've touched yep. on and understanding who their ideal client profile is and what, 
what that client is needing or what their pain point is, I'm not really sure. Right. And I, feel so, like a, I feel like a goon. No. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Like, I just got asked a zinger. Just <laughs> You're like, thanks, Devin. Clipped, yeah. So, the, the, where my b- brain is hopping on this is it's so easy when I think about even feedback I've got is jumping to automatic assumptions in the market. Because just because we see yes. it's a need and a pain point, does that mean anyone actually wants the need solved? Oh, you've completely, yeah, you've, 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 uh, course corrected me on that yeah. plenty of times. Like, yeah. Well, and it's like, what about this? Why? And I'm yeah. like, that's a valid point. And I'm like, yep, going to go back, dive back in, check that out. Like, yeah. But it's, it's easy to do because yeah. it's just, it's one of those things where it's an emotional thing. It's just, it's, hey, this is what I'm aware of. Nope. Take a step back, take yourself out of the equation and broaden your kind of field of view on that. If that's yeah. hitting the nail on the head there. Yeah. You got to be willing to pivot, right? Because so yeah. many people go, well, it's a pain point to me. And I think the best way to tie this back to is when you're developing or conducting, I should say, your market research, mm-hmm. it's all about making sure you're considering each and every stage that is to come. And so a very important part of market research is spending the time to do interviews with potential target market customers. So you're going to have this dichotomy in the GTM where you do market research strategy and validate, and then you're going to identify target market, right? And then you can go back and validate it again. And then you're going to develop your value prop. And then you're going to go test it again with your market analysis and your interviews and your focus groups in order to make sure that that actually rings and hits a note. So one thing to remember is it's nice to think that a GTM is a super simple 10 linear steps and you're done, but it's you start a market and then you go to target and then back to market a lot of and back then and value. And you're going to always funnel back through the previous work that was done because if you can't connect all the dots with a simple theme and a simple flow, it's just not going to work out in the market. And that's why GTMs seem basic, but it isn't in the end because you have to constantly reiterate that at every stage, the previous points and lessons that were learned are still flowing into the next. And then that the next point that you're making flows back upstream into all the previous points. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost in their value prop. It's like, well, it makes sense. The need's there. Well, and it's, and it's easy because literally if you're moving too quickly with it because you think you're just on the right track, it's like running into the forest. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm, yep, I'm following the tracks, following the tracks. All of a sudden you're lost in the forest, turn around and you don't know where you're at. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, I don't know where I went off the trail, but not, all I know is that I'm lost. And to try and go back and find, find your way back through that, it's just a nightmare. Yeah. But it's easy. I mean, and, and that's, so one, that's where people can get lost. And the other half is that's why people don't even attempt it. Oh yeah. They're like I'm not getting, I'm not even going to touch that. And that's where I think what's funny is people listening right now are like, hey, it sounds like a heavy startup focus, which it is. If you're a startup, we have met a couple of them. And a big tip I can give you is go get a sales rep on your team, even for 10 hours, because so many of you, super intellectual, know your field really well. And then when you come to articulating your product and offering its value, it makes absolutely no sense. You use such high jargon, yes, technical terminology, and the audience is sitting there going, and what does it solve? What does it do, right? So your value prop is explaining what solution it's providing, what problem it's solving. So make sure you bring someone in right away. But more importantly, it's so important to continue to go back and look at your value prop, because as you grow, it's gonna change, just like R has, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, no. 100% agree. And it's figuring out a way to, to, to differentiate yourself too, right? Yes. And that that's part of it. And I don't know if you have any best practices or anything that you've implemented over the years on that. Oh, yeah. I would say 
I would, when I started the division I did back in Marco, we were always continually looking at our value prop because we're in such a saturated market. So if you're not in a saturated market, bravo. You have a solid three <laughs> to five years that you can kind of ride that train. I wouldn't recommend doing it because all of a sudden you're going to look up one day and someone's going to be sitting next to you offering the same thing. And you go, holy crap. They literally caught me to a T and then added this. Mm-hmm. Now, a tip that though, I never focused on... How did you guys evaluate that? How did you stop and slow and slow down and look at that? Just to sidetrack for a look second. At, so like team meetings or how did that yeah, look to yeah, like... So that's a word. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry. I'm, no, I'm, jump, I'm jumping the gun. I'm just excited. I'm like, absolutely. I want to hear this. So what we did is on a regular basis, we had meetings with sales reps to understand what was happening out in the market. Is there super understand that sales reps have the best pulse on the market outside of research. So as a manager, as an owner of a business, it's your job to continually be reading articles on your industry and the trends. However, what you realize is most trends are somewhat accurate without, but missing the lack of truth that a customer will provide directly to a sales rep. And so you have to listen to your sales and they're going, hey, if you continually hear we're losing the market because of this, or our customers want this, you have to listen to that feedback and weave it into your solution because that's your biggest tip of what you should add next. However, all we spent at the end of every year, we went, what went really well this year? We did a slight touch on what our competitors were doing out in the market. I'm not a big fan of overanalyzing your competitors. It's so easy. If you continually are looking at your competitors in the market, you're going to turn into this micro innovation competition that just is a straight race to the bottom as a basic commodity. Oh, well, and it's one of those moments that we can bring back to a personal life. If you fixate on something, that's probably the direction you're, you're going to head. Yep. So yep. it's like, no, focus on yourself. About it. that that's got to be so so tough though because if you have a team of people and you have all these different opinions to try and make sure you're all on the same page in pivoting see i would say how, it's how, easy how, how does that i don't care mitigated? what my team says <laughs> i care what my customers say now that's a leader everyone that's a leader <laughs> absolutely just, through and through <laughs> i just because i mean how many times the number one thing you can learn in life is never ever ever listen to what someone is directly saying listen to what message lies underneath those words in so many companies. <laughs> no, 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 no. You are just racing past that. And that is so deep. That's not even funny Yeah. to sit and listen. Because most people, I'm sorry. And this is just a general statement. So I, I know I could be inaccurate. But most people are not at 100% capacity of, at what they're capable of at their job. Most people are probably in that 70 to 80%. <laughs> yeah. And what you just pitched is like 120. <laughs> so, yeah. No, great question. So if we rewind. Thank you. Whether you're talking to a superior, an equal, or someone you manage, a customer, a wife, a husband, a son, a daughter, the lack of communication and the ability to communicate is so backwards in the United States because of how complicated we've made the English language and the lack of time we've taken to train individuals on how to articulate their feelings and thoughts that such general jargon is normally used in order to explain someone's current state feelings or thoughts so what and on top of it a lot of individuals won't take the time to explain what their true feelings or concerns are or opinions because in today's world we're taught hold your cards as close to your chest as possible so you don't get stabbed in the back right fair that's very reasonable but so 
On the last point, I'm the weirdo who's like, I'll just show you all my cards. And if you stab me in the back, good job. Good for you. I guess I'll move <laughs> on with life because it's just so much work to not be genuine and be like, this is me. And what I've learned, if any of you do that, a lot of people are going to think you're fake. Oh, it's very. Yeah, because it's yeah, it's like someone who's gen. Yeah, again, genuinely just super nice. It just you get thrown off. You're like, wait a minute. There's some ulterior motives. here. Yeah. There's some, something that I'm missing because it just is not the norm now. Yeah, but. So I get that all the time. (laughs) And instead of getting mad about it like I used to, take the time to respect the abnorm you're bringing to that conversation and just be willing to go back over and over again. And if you're truly, genuinely trying to be your authentic self, it'll come to people start seeing that and believing it. But back to reading through the message, when someone says a client wants this, whatever this is, I guarantee you nine times out of 10 is not what they want. Or when they say a client just wishes we provided this product or this comp plan doesn't work because it's it blocks from this. They're all this interior, truly emotional state that needs to be addressed to understand what they're actually having a problem with. Big thing, normally just a lack of understanding. So if you have a lot of conflict in your culture inside your company, it's probably because you haven't taken the time to clearly articulate why a change is occurring, why a new product's being brought to market, all of those. And a customer normally, it's not their job to explain to you A to Z on why they want a certain solution. It's your job to dig deeper and go, you Again, say you want this, between the lines. but why? Yep. Okay. Yeah. No, I'll f- I follow that 100% when it comes to the sales part of that of like, yeah. you got to just be listening, not talking. Right. And but so, actually listening. You're right. And that's why a big thing I tried to implement at my former employer was a call center solely focused on taking customer service calls. Now, I know a lot of you are going to promote AI and all of that, and I would agree, but when I was pitching <laughs> this four years ago, it didn't exist. Uh. But it's super important, I think, to now still have the call center within reason to have the human touch. People want it. I don't think AI is there quite yet to handle full call center concept where customers are mad. What I think AI is super important for is the concept of scrubbing those texts and identifying themes inside of conversations. So what's amazing is your number one resource in research, if you're a company that exists, I don't care if you're 10 million or a couple billion to 60 billion, is listening to the conversations your customers are having with their call center. It'd be nice if you could do it with your sales reps too, they're working that way. But typically what happens, there's only two reasons a customer calls you. They're super mad or they're super happy. So you wanna capture Consistently, why are they happy? That's your value prop. What is mm-hmm. what is this thing we're always meeting the need on? So if you use a call center, actually get a human on the phone so they can read through the lines and pull up more context than just AI can. Information is power. Yes. That's how AI is, is what it is, right? Yep. And then use AI to scrub that. And on the verse side, the thing that I saw the biggest ROI on was why were they complaining? Not from an aspect of how do we solve the problem? It's super important. You have a call center. ROI. Oh, return on investment. So to get a company to invest in a call center, they're going, that's antiquated. Why would we do that? Right. And so obviously it was, okay, cool. We can hear why people are happy. Don't really care. We can (laughs) hear why people are mad. Don't really care either. Cause then we just look at it and solve it. Like that doesn't, it improves ROI, but it's so, it's not as tangible. It's not treating the cause too. But then you get customers who call in and at the end of it, Hey Thor, do you guys offer this? Hey, Thor, and they'll just throw it in there. Hey, Thor, why, why doesn't XYZ company do this? Mm-hmm. And so many people Classic. 
aren't good at reading between the lines and they just miss that. Well, now you have AI scrub that and it goes, hey, it asked you, let's say your uh, green screen studio and you're just massive, you have 600 locations and consistently people ask, why don't you have filtered water? I want bottled water, I don't want fossil water. It's just say scenario. All of a sudden you implement that. What people understand is that scale, the amount of return and increased customer satisfaction you can obtain is unreal. And again, that's your value prop. Mm-hmm. So understanding your value prop can always be innovative, especially at your large companies. For Pete's sake, capture the data and do something with it. We've seen what ChatGPT4 is doing right now. It is absurd. That's gross. That just came out, what, today or yesterday? Yesterday. Yesterday, and that's just absolutely absurd. Yeah. There's no reason you shouldn't be capturing that and continually innovating on your value prop. Mm-hmm. So we've told you how to do it for a startup. We've told you why to do it for an already established company and how. Startup, I know you're still wondering like, oh, these established companies have so much more data they can use. They do. But as a startup, just think, I need a good enough value prop to convince investors to give me money. And well, that's that, not too hard. No. And, and, it, and it's showing that you, you're creating foundation. That's kind of the entire point of this. Same thing with what we're offering. And in general, it's develop your foundation early so that you're not going back a year, two years into that trying to sift through all of this and pick up the pieces and put it together. It's easier to do it right out of the gates. Yeah. Almost forgot too. Good stuff. Devin's choice today. What are we drinking, Devin? We're drinking Heaven's Door, age 10 years, 20% rye. So side note, have I, maybe Gabe can help remind me or or y'all can. I don't think I've talked about the difference between wheat and rye base inside of your bourbon have no i just know you can't have one of them otherwise you turn funny colors i do so bourbon (laughs) always 51 percent corn or more and then you have malted barley but you have this thing called wheat and rye and then you have red wheat red wheat can just absolutely take a leap into the ocean and never be put in a bourbon again don't like it someone out there probably loves it i'm so happy for you but they'll blow us up about it i'd love to learn about it because he's not going to tell me so i'll tell you all about it and the easy (laughs) solution is it's like one out of every 500 brands makes one so that's your answer. Uh, <laughs> Beautiful. But I don't like, so I kind of like weeded berms are sweeter. So weeded berms can be a lot sweeter, a lot more caramel. However, I have this weird gluten issue. <laughs> and I probably get red enough drinking just bourbon in general. But you give me some weeded bourbon, I will turn it into Johnny Appleseed's apple that just grew on oh, the tree. I'll be sun-baked. so red. Woo. Yeah. I mean, it's the lobster on the sea. It's whatever we want to call it. <laughs> but so I love rye bases. I do love rye whiskeys, which we're going to crack into sooner than later here just because I love them. But this one hit me because it's 20% rye, which just absolutely just got me thrilled. I was like, let's go. Thor, I think the flavor profile is weak, though. I'm not happy with the diversification of the palate when I sip on it. Super bland. Wow. Bougie. (laughs) Bougie. Say that again. The diversification of the palate when I sip on it. Wow. Just just throw it away. I know we had two drinks out. Just throw it in the garbage. Just a just abysmal, just terrible product. I would say for 10 years, yeah. If it's it's super neutral. I really was expecting more. And it's got a lot of heat on it on the front end. And just in general, plenty of heat. But it doesn't have a super strong flavor note. There's not anything that's overly distinctive flavor wise yeah. about it to where you, when you're touching on like the sweeter caramel notes or anything like that or, yeah, or so cherry or tobacco anything oh, yeah, nothing yeah there's a large range and this is just super neutral for the price point so i'll give you all an idea this is with tax over a 90 dollar bottle it was supposed to celebrate another sale because that's what i do when i make a sale i guess i buy liquor i don't 
don't know if that's a problem. <laughs> what I does give that say about three. your character? This is a three. A three? It is a $90 bottle so, that does not deserve to be $90 in any facet. I would agree that the $90 price point is slightly off, but I will rebuttal with, could it be a good old fashioned? I don't think it's I, got heat. It could, but why it's am I buying ninety dollars? No, absolutely, and, and and that's what just ruins. a bunch I'm of just, juice with it. And you want me to? No, I'm going to go buy my thirty-five dollar bottle and put my juice with it. So since you can't return liquor, this is what we've learned: that if you buy something and it's decent but not great, you can always use it for old fashions to redeem it. Yes, agreed. <laughs> In house. Thank you. Sorry. If you're, you're if I'm you're sorry. you know the Minneapolis club where we like to drink or brick and mortar, don't buy this. Or frost, please don't put it on your shelf because it's a waste of your money. I and really hope we don't get let up by someone. I hope it. we do. It'd be funny. It, I would no, love I to love hear it. an argument. Yeah. Any devil's advocate that wants to come on my step and have a debate <laughs> is going to become one of my best friends because it means you actually have the backbone to have an opinion. So cheers to you. <laughs> Spicy. <laughs> Woo. So, so anyways, Dorf, yes. We need to address this exit planning world. Yes. So many people look at us like oh. it just doesn't fit our pipeline. But I think it's because no. exit planning has never blown up like it has right now. Just give me a minute to hop on the soapbox and I'm going to slide it over to you and let you jump on it. I hope you tee it up with a huge question for me. <laughs> so exit planning though, right? What is happening? Baby boomers. Yeah. Tons of baby boomers want to sell. If you don't know right now, the issue with baby boomers trying to sell is they're trying to use their package, giving them to them by the government during COVID as part of their profit and revenue. That doesn't work. Bad <laughs> idea. So now they're super perplexed. And they're like, but look how much higher my profit margins have been the last two years. Then the accountant goes, well, did you receive mm. PPE? They go, absolutely. And then I don't know if it's called PPE. I know that's a safety stuff, but whatever. And they go, yep. They go, well, then we have to remove that from the equation. Or on the flip side, school doesn't teach you a darn thing about anything in taxes and finance and entrepreneurship. So most baby boomers have no idea what their business is worth. Mm -hmm. So we solve that door. Or how it gets evaluated. Um, so how do yes. we help them? How are we coming in going, you know what, we will help you slide into home plate with that extra bag of cash. So your wife can go on the trip she wants or buy the stuff she wants and you can... So you can move to Florida or Arizona and just yeah. be warm for the rest of your life. And leave Absolutely. money for your children. Generational yes. wealth, not Which is beautiful. circumstantial wealth. We don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I love what a spicy day today is. No, but so where we, we come in and why our fit is so good is because they're sitting and they have a very critical pain point of a whole panel of people who are very well educated in the different aspects of preparing a founder to exit a company, right? So you, attorneys, finance people, tax, I mean, just like a laundry list. And, and they're all sitting there doing their analytics or running numbers, figuring this out, pitching this to them, and literally losing my train of thought. But you have a whole board of people telling you, hey, this, so th we understand you told us you want to sell your company for 28 million. The reality is you can probably sell it for 15. And that's what they're pitching. Yeah. They, but they've got a time window, which is kind of the critical point, I think, for us, especially is, well, hey, we have two to four years or, you know, it's a varied time frame. But just imagine dad, ha you know, has owned a company his entire life for, for 40 years. He's 60, wants to be out of it by 64. You have four years. What's the plan? I want to sell it for X amount. I'm being told that I, you know, I can't. That's where Devin and I come in and go, hey, here's your go-to-market strategy. Here's your sales strategy. This is how we can help elevate you to that 
closer to that price point or to that price point because it's something that's been lacking. Yeah. And we're and that's coming from people who have evaluated the business yeah. in excruciating detail. Yeah. And so, I know you have more to add to that, but I do that to really look at it, it's like you you have your puppy dog. Some dude just comes puppy along dog. and calls your puppy ugly and says you should get rid of it. That's what they're doing to these companies. They're going, you've only spent 40 okay. years growing this company. And I know you want 15 million, but you can only get 10 and tough luck. Like it's brutal. Just an absolute yeah, presentation. I, I will say amazing event that we were at. But oh, the I love absolute brashness of like, this guy's absolutely crazy for thinking that he can get this amount. And it's like, well, let's just slow down for a second. But that's getting back to your point too, is read between the lines. Like yeah. sit and about, and they are all coming around to that. But it's one of those kind of abrasive moments because again, we're working on a time frame. And really, four years seems like it might be, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's a long time, but four years flies by super fast, especially when you're dealing with a lot of different variables. Yeah. So that's where. And so what we do end, yeah. is we take that puppy that they call ugly. And why does the value proposition matter? Because we're going to tell people why to value that puppy and why that puppy's cute and why it should be in the home and why everyone should love it. And then we're going to just accelerate the growth through the roof like anything you've ever seen with the other seven stages of your go-to-market strategy but really as an exit planning company if someone's telling you your puppy's ugly and it's only worth x instead of y they're 100 right but that's because someone hasn't come along likely to show the value prop of why it's worth more so not only do we come in and create that for the moment to get growth for four years but then you can also, when you sell it to a company, you have a great value prop story, which gets you right back to when you originally were birthed as a company, when you had a pitch deck of why people should invest in your company. Well, the way you came into the market is the exact way you end is a pitch deck, why someone should buy your company, what it's worth. Mm -hmm. So you got this beautiful cycle of life. It's foundational it's items gorgeous. at the core of it too. It's yeah. foundational items. It's one of those moments that if your company is being evaluated and you're missing that, and if you're not part of it as, as a founder, how do you expect to get the amount that you act actually want for it? If you sit there and you have an actual game plan and foundation built, you're good. You're going to get, yeah, you're going to get to the numbers. But really to wrap up today, guys, it, it's super important to really take a look at your value proposition. It's a crucial part of every single stage of a company from the beginning to the end. And then I'm wrapping up today with, as always, stay, stay strong, stay humble, and stay at it. <laughs>